chapter 5, in verse 7, Paul says, You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? And this is a theme that goes throughout the book of Galatians. It's a church of disciples that came from a Jewish background, and they are struggling with the concept of going back to the old way of living. You know, undoubtedly, it is a radical transformation to become a Christian. You can't just add a little Christianity to your life. It totally defines a new way of living. And uh, it absolutely did for uh, a group from a Jewish background. And, and Paul said, hey, you were, you were doing well. You were living victoriously. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? You get down to verse 13 and he says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but did not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. You know, he talks about freedom. The Jewish way of living was that salvation was according to the law. It was all, do this, don't do this. If you do this and it's bad, then you've got to go and sacrifice a big cow on the altar. You know, I laugh, I go, you know kind of what sins people committed by what they were bringing to the temple to sacrifice. They're like, oh, you did something really bad because I see you have a cow. Um, you know, but the salvation through Christ is by faith. Now, there are commandments of God, but we can never earn our salvation. It comes by faith. And they're contemplating going back to the old system, the old regulation. And sometimes, you know, we start, we embark on the Christian life and we're doing well. And then trials come. And maybe it comes through relationships. Maybe it comes just through our own personal struggles, hardships that we're facing. We hit walls, you know, or we get discouraged. And we thought, well, I thought Christianity was going to be this way. And sometimes we're tempted to think, you know, I had it better the old way. Which usually when we're saying things like that, we are forgotten the old way. Kind of like the Israelites when they, they get brought out of Egypt and, and they're thirsty and they're like, man, in Egypt we had it awesome. We used to sit around pot and eat pots of meat all day long. You're like, wait, you were slaves making bricks without straw. We, we forget what the old way really was. But Paul says, Christ calls you to be free. Not freedom from Christ, but freedom in Christ. Freedom from being enslaved to sin. And he says the entire law is summed up in the single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this is all intro to where we're going to uh, talk about today. He's saying, here's how to love one another. Let's just sum up Christianity. Let's just make it straightforward. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then we get to verse 16. Point number one, live by the Spirit. Verse 16 through 18. It says, so I say, live by the Spirit, 
And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful, uh, to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. And when he says under law, he's talking about the Mosaic law, the Old Testament uh, regulations for the Jews. He says, you know what? To live by the Spirit is fairly straightforward. It means don't be led by the sinful nature. Paul's saying you've got two very specific possible ways to live if, if you're a Christian. You can go according to sinful nature, or you can be led according to Spirit. There's not much in the way of middle ground. It's, it's one or the other. And he says one doesn't want to do what the other one wants to do. So you're not going to be successful trying to do it 50-50. Now, mark your spot here in Galatians 5. Turn over really quick to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 8. Paul says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life Set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You see, so when Paul says live by the Spirit, he contrasts two different mindsets. And that's really where we start is, is having the right mindset. It's what, what you think about, what, what your desires are, what you focus on. When no one else is around and you're just daydreaming. He says, what is your mindset? He said, it's in one of two places. It's either on what the Holy Spirit desires or it's on what the sinful nature desires. So I ask you, what do you think about? What are you focused on? I'm not saying do you ever have a spiritual thought or a sinful thought, but I'm saying, you know, what, what are the magnitude of your thoughts focused on? You know, I believe each one of us has a very clear pattern right now in our life. You know, Paul says, well, here's some key components to know whether or not you're, you're set on what the Spirit desires. He says that when you live according to the Spirit, that there's no condemnation. It's guilt-free living. Now, let me say something briefly about guilt. Guilt is something that occurs when you have done something wrong. So the Bible's not saying we should never feel guilty, because if you sin, 
there's a part of us that goes, wow, I did something wrong. But when it's talking about there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that's people that live with the what I call the dark cloud mentality. That always feel like I'm never good enough. I'm never going to be successful enough. God is never happy with me. God is never proud of me. You could get a 99 on an exam and God is upset with me because of the 1% that I, I messed up on. You know, that's the condemnation. That's, you know, you're listening to Satan. The word Satan means accuser. And he's always playing the negative tape. He said, when you live by the Spirit, when you set your mind on what the Spirit desires, you're, you're free from that false guilt and condemnation. So you can live a happy life. The Second Corinthians 7 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. True repentance isn't living an eternal life of misery for the sins we committed beforehand. No parent wants that for their kid. You want them to change. You don't want them, okay, now you better be sad every day for a month. Or I don't believe you're, you know, convicted about what you did. No, you're like, come on, get over it. It's done. You move on. And that's what God wants for us. The sinful nature is trying to take you down. You know, what else? It says that, that if you're controlled by the Spirit, it says that your mind is life and peace. Does, is your mind at peace or is it just full of turmoil and angst? You know, the sinful nature will fill your life with turmoil. The Spirit will fill it full of peace. Now remember, you have to decide what's going to lead you. How about hostility? It says if you're controlled by the sinful nature, you're, you're hostile to God and His commands. It says you can't please God. How do you respond to the Word of God? Do you fight it? Is there hostility? Is there a lot of yeah, buts? But I feel, well, this can't be. Yeah, I see it says that, but, you know, my situation's different. You know, if there's hostility in our hearts, the Bible says there's a reason for that. The mind controlled by the sinful nature is hostile to God. Now, let's go back to Galatians 5. He says, they're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. You know, Paul says that you cannot tolerate the sinful nature and live by the Spirit. Now, we all have a sinful nature. So he's not saying you can't have a sinful nature because we all have it. But you can't tolerate it. You can't be led by it and then go, but I want to live a spiritual life. I want to follow the Holy Spirit. He says, no, you've got to crucify the sinful nature. He said, you, you can't coexist with both. And that, that's a mindset. And I want you to think about how you live, what you think about, and ask yourself, are you tolerant of your own sinful nature? Now, I'm not asking if you're tolerant of other people's sinful nature, because we already know the answer to that. 
We are not tolerant of other people's sinful nature. I'm asking, are, are we tolerant of our own sinful nature? Do we let ourselves off the hook? Oh, it's a little doubt, a little fit of rage, a little buzz working, a little lack of commitment, a little impurity, a little greed, a little materialism, a little selfishness. Have we set a bar of how much is okay? You see, Paul says that they're in conflict with each other. He says, you know, one can't exist with the other. You've got to make that choice. We've got to live by the Spirit. It's a mindset. What is your mindset this morning? Point number two is crucify sin to produce fruit. So he goes right into the next stage of this. Verse 19 through 25. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So he talks about the mindset. He says you've got to live by the Spirit. You've got to get your mind set on what the Spirit wants. And you've got to have a zero tolerance for sinful nature thinking. And he says, now let's talk about the behavior. Let's talk about the acts of the sinful nature. Just in case there's any confusion. You remember the first time you read this passage? You know, I haven't met a person yet that the very first time they read this did not think one thing. I had no idea the Bible was this clear about sin. I remember exactly what I thought. I can't believe it says this. I mean, it's so clear. So, well, why didn't I think that way before? Because the sinful nature wants to minimize where our mind is set. It doesn't want to do what God wants, so it's trying to create levels of tolerance. Hey, it's okay. And so we come up with things like, it's okay to sleep with your girlfriend is because if you love each other, then you're married in God's eyes. Like, think about that for a moment. The rationale behind that. Wait a second. God came up with marriage. The Bible says that God institutes governments. So there's legal requirements for marriage. So you'd be married in God's eyes when you're married in the legal requirements eyes. But we just invent it. Why? Because the sinful nature doesn't want to obey God's commandments. So the Bible just lays it out. 
keep in mind, Galatians 5 was written to Christians. This is the church of Christians in Galatia. Apparently, there was some confusion going on. And he said, sin is obvious. People can see it. Sexual immorality, that's any sex outside of a husband and a wife. That's it. That's the definition of the word. Impurity. That can be lustful thoughts. It could be evil thoughts, hateful thoughts, bitter thoughts. Debauchery. It's living to please the senses. Any one thing can be just fine. But an overindulgence in it becomes debauchery. You know, we can be controlled by something that on the outside isn't harmful at all. You know, video games. I love video games. But if you don't do your homework, you're late to work, you don't read your Bible, you don't pray, you don't encourage anybody, because all you're doing is playing video games. It's become debaucherous. You know what? Chill time can become debaucherous. I always love when, you know, when, when people have their first child and they start thinking things like, well, when's time for me? Oh, you know, 30 years from now. <laughs> you say, where did that thought come from? It's a sinful nature. Idolatry. Anything. You know, uh, when we hear idolatry, the first thing we think about is some, like, gold statue that people bow down to. They don't in Santa Clarita. That's not the shape of the idols. The idols here is fame, fortune, money, power, prestige, children, children's sports, our careers, our hobbies. Our lifestyle, materialism, our house, our cars, our clothes. Those are the idols we bow down to. They say, well, I don't have any idolatry in my heart. Is there anything you struggle to give up with in order to live the Christian life? Any commitment you've made? Maybe a better uh, way to think about it is, is there any touchy areas of your life? You say, well, what's a touchy area? That's an area you refuse to be open about. And anyone asks you pointed questions about this part of your life, you, you get testy. You get evasive. You might even challenge them and say, you know, uh, you know what? I'm open with God about this. I don't need to talk to you about it. Well, are you perfect? You know, that, that's idolatry. Because, you know what, people get really uh, personally offended if you mess with their idol. You, know, you ever tried to uh, take something that your roommate feels is really important? 
They're like, oh, I don't know, you can't take that. But if you try and, you know, borrow a shirt that they haven't worn in 10 years, you're like, fine. You like that? Great. You know, when you really don't care that much about it, it's okay if it's taken away. But when somebody goes after an idol, there's a lot of pride and defensiveness that comes up. Fits of rage. You say, what's a fit of rage? Uncontrolled anger. How would your kids answer that for you? What about your coworkers if the deal doesn't come through? Or the project deadline isn't going to be met? How about your classmates? If the test is harder than you thought it was going to be, and you feel like they didn't do an adequate job telling you what was going to be on it. What about if you just have your annual review and get a review that you think is unfair? What about if you get an unexpected bill? What if you're sick? You know what it says? that There's, there's a lot of these things. The Bible says it's obvious. And Paul says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Church attendance will never save somebody. Paul says, hey, you can attend church, but if you live like this, if this describes your life, you're not going to go to heaven. You won't. He said, you've got to live by the Spirit. He goes, now let's make it clear. What's it mean to live by the Spirit? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He goes, if you're being led by the Spirit, these things are evident. They are obvious. You're growing in them. These things ought to describe us. Now, does that mean, wow, if we make one, you know, impatient statement... That we're not demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit? No. No, we're talking about the general pattern of your life. Are you growing in your patience? Are you growing in your love? Are you growing in your faithfulness? What about your self-control? Paul says, it's, it's obvious who's leading us. Don't be fooled. You say, okay, so we just got to behave differently. That's what he tells us. No, he says we got to go further than that. Verse 24, it says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Say, to live by the Spirit means we, we go after eradicating the sinful nature at the heart level. So we're not living the Christian life going, I want to do this bad thing, but I can't, I can't, I can't, it's wrong, but it's bad. Oh, I want to go to the party at high schools. Oh, there's a great party, but I can't, I can't, I'm a Christian. No, he says, no, 
If you're going to live by the Spirit, he goes, you've got to get to the heart of the matter. He goes, you crucified at the desire level, at the passion level. So somebody says, hey, let's party, let's get drunk this weekend. No way. Why would I want to get drunk? Why would I want to go to a party? Why would I want to see that movie? Why would I want to live that way? You know, we're not supposed to live life fully desiring the sinful way. But just hold strong. He says, no, we're, we're supposed to kill it at the desire and passion level. Remember how we talked about having the right mindset? This is a mindset issue. Because Satan will try and trick us by saying, hey, just focus on the actions. As long as you have that intense desire, if you don't act on it, you're still doing okay. And so Satan goes about the work of cultivating those passions and those desires. And then we wonder why day, uh, at a weak moment or whatever, we act on the desire. That's why Paul says, no, if you belong to Christ, you crucify it at that level. Do we have the mindset to crucify sin? in order to produce fruit. Actions are clear. You know, the thing about words, words can be good or be bad. You know, words don't necessarily tell you the picture. You know, that's why Paul doesn't say, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. If they tell you they're living a righteous life, then that means they have no sin. He says, no, 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 you can see it. You see, because we can become experts at using our words to give the impression that we're not living this way. And that's why Paul says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And he doesn't say the words that they say determine it. No, it's the actions of our life. You know, third and final point is we need to help each other. We need to help each other. In chapter 6, verse 1 to 10, he says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those that belong to the family of believers. 
Yeah, we got to live by the Spirit. We got to have the right mindset and our actions need to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We need to crucify the sinful nature with its passions and desires. But Paul says, you know what? We need to help each other. He said, because part of the Christian life is helping each other deal with the sinful nature that's present in our life and heart. And say, well, what's the process of how that happens? He says, well, if you see sin in somebody's life, I like how he says this, you who are spiritual, that means you who discovered it, you who observed it, you who are aware of this, you know, uh, infraction against the Word of God, should restore them gently. He does not say, you, um, you know, if someone is caught in a sin, then freak out because you have witnessed a brother or sister in Christ sinning. You know, that's why he says, watch out, watch yourself, or you'll be tempted. He said, tempted to do what? Well, let me, let me give you a list I came up with. Freak out. Get really angry and have a fit of rage, which is on the earlier list. Get completely bummed out and discouraged. Be self-righteous. You know, that's earlier. You know, that's why he says, you who are spiritual. And he goes, hey, you know, if anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. Well, why would we think that way? Because we've discovered sin. So we can become all high and mighty. I am so awesome. What is your problem? He says, now you deceive yourself. He says, you know what? Just carry your own load. You know, you deal with your own sin. He says, uh, what else? We can gossip. You observe a sin. And there's a lot of good juicy morsels. I got to tell somebody about it. Because I'm shocked of what they did. And I want you to be shocked too. So you can share in my freaked outedness. You can slander and tear them down. We can sympathize with their sin. You go, what? Isn't, isn't it good to sympathize? Depends on what you mean by it. Sympathy can look like one of two things. It can either look at, yeah, I can think of times when I was in sin too. And here's what I did to repent. Versus, wow, I've never sinned, so I can't relate to you at all. That's not being sympathetic. But let me tell you what's not uh, biblical sympathy. Oh, yeah, I see why you sinned. Oh, yeah, you got good reasons for sin. Oh, your spouse did this to you? Oh, your Bible talk leader? Oh, this happened? Oh, yeah, I see why you had your fit of rage. I don't blame you for that. And we chalk it up to being relatable. No, we just fallen into pit with them. Or we tolerate it. You know, many times 
in the uh, epistles, they talk about a sign of wickedness, of tolerating those who do evil. God did a whole sermon on this, you know, don't judge. You know, this is especially big in high school and college. Don't judge. said so the real test of spiritual maturity amongst disciples is whether or not you're willing to challenge your brother and sister about sin in their life. We get sin truces. Sometimes it happens in our marriage. I'm not going to tell on you because you know I do this. And if I tell on you for doing this, then you may tell on me. You know, we tolerate it. I'm going to get mad if you tell on me, and I'll punish you emotionally at home. Spouse, either spouse feel any uncomfortability to be open about what's going on in your life. Now, that's toleration. He says, that's why you got to watch yourself, or you'll get tempted... I mean, from a logic point of view, somebody you care about, you see, has sin in their life. So you have a fit of rage or get bummed out or, you know, freak out. How does that help them? Does that do any good at all? When's the last time you did that where you go, I am so happy I responded in that way? That really produced godliness in this situation. It never helps. So it says, you who are spiritual, watch yourself, or you will be tempted. I love this in in verse 6. He says, anyone who receives instruction, the word must share all good things with his instructor. Wait, so they had mentors way back then? They didn't even call them discipleship partners or mentors or prayer partners. They called them instructors. And I said, you know what, if somebody points something out in your life, According to the word of God, it says you need to tell a person who mentors you. Hey, I got challenged in this area. I need to be open. Why? So they got the full picture. Because one of the ways Satan likes to work in our life is to fool us that we've been open about what goes on. Because we got 10 different people that know 10% of the story. And so I can say, I've been open about everything. But there's no one person that has a clear picture, and it's very purposeful. You know, and you'll see that. People get involved in sin, and they'll be open only with certain people. I don't see, I'm open. I just don't want to be open with you. Yeah. You know what? When we want to live by the Spirit, our life is transparent. We need to help each other. And one of the realities of the Christian life is we will observe sin in each other's life. And Paul says, here's what you got to do because we need to help each other. You know, he says, hey, there's certain biblical principles they're they're just like you know gravitation wherever you go on the planet gravity has its effect he said let me tell you one don't be deceived god cannot be mocked 
a man reaps what he sows. He says it's clear. Don't be deceived. Now, why, why would Paul tell us don't be deceived? Because we are deceived. And we observe sin and we buy into their way of thinking and we get deceived thinking there's some other reason. And God says, no, I just can't be mocked. So if you sow to please the sinful nature, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow to please uh, the Holy Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. It's just kind of simple. It's not all that fancy. When we start making it fancy, we've been deceived. He says, don't become weary in doing good. For the proper time, you reap a harvest if you do not give up. What's the context here? Helping people. You say, why do we become weary? Well, because I've had the same talk. Again and again and again. And I just think, really, what the issue is, they don't want to change. So I've had enough. Do not become weary. The proper time will reap a harvest if we do not give up. As I said before, each one of us is here because there's been people in our life that have had the same talk again and again and again. Have you given up? Have you grown weary? says, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. As Christians, we got to have a high standard of living by the Spirit. And we need to help each other because it's a life or death situation. Say, so what's Paul trying to teach us? Say, how to love each other. That's where we started. Tire law summed up. Love your neighbors yourself. That's what we're talking about. What's it going to take? We need the right mindset. We've got to live by the Spirit. We've got to crucify the sinful nature and produce fruit. And finally, we need to help each other. We're not going to get there alone. Let's be spiritual men and women. Let's make those decisions. Let's not let Satan lead us astray. And let's put to death our sinful nature. Let's live by the Spirit. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.